Good evening and welcome to Editing Aloud. Of all the scandals we have talked about on this program, there is none to match this week's sandpaper gate, the ball tampering scandal that has seen three members of the Australian cricket team sent home. Rob, Rob this is kind of absolutely blatant cheating. How, how does a cricket team do this in this day and age? Yeah, I think it's amazing that they didn't believe they'd get caught given that there were cameras focusing on all the players all the time. Um, it is bizarre. It's sort of like if a camera followed the Gupta brothers around for the last four years <laughs> and they still did what they did. I mean, it takes some staggering chutzpah to do that and still expect to get away with it. But I do think fundamentally there is cheating, which is trying to change the condition of the ball, which a lot of players have done over the years. And then there is throwing matches like Hansi Kroenier did. And I think that there's a different level of criminality involved in both. And, and what's the distinction? That's a fraud, and that's different. I think this is just cheating. This is looking to get an advantage. It's Sorry, it is just cheating. There is a quantum difference between throwing a match and deceiving thousands of viewers and and but cheating the level they did it. it no, what? It, it no, there's no Armstrong. You see no difference between match fixing and actually tampering with the ball on It's both cheating. It's a different forms of cheating. It's the same thing. I mean, the I thought there was a couple of fascinating things about this, which people haven't really spoken about. The one is, you know, the uh, if we are if we believe the investigation as it's happened up to now, um, there were only three people involved, right? So it was the captain, the vice captain, and the uh, culprit. The, the well, culprit itself, when he was doing it, Bancroft. The uh, so and that's very like, you know, organisations that make very bad decisions are always. It's always the most senior people. You know, if they had gone to the Australian side generally and said, "Listen, we're in a tight spot here. Let's cheat." You know. Somebody in the Australian team, l l several people, I, I would guess, would say no. You know, um, well, it but is if Australia. You I mean, <laughs> oh, careful now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go down that road. <laughs> but, but you know, I do think that it's very similar to a lot of organisations where, you know, where the, the, there's a little coterie that gets together informally and then they informally decide, you know, and they don't tell anybody else. And you could tell there was tension in the, in the, uh, in the Australian team. Um, because um, you know, uh, the, there was yeah. The bowlers are very <laughs> upset by the fact that, 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 that yeah, that they have been. But they were in on it. Like the bowlers can't, can't, cannot be upset. They're in on it. They want that ball to reverse swing and bowl outside. Yeah, but they right? don't. I mean, I think a lot it's of people on the team, like Tim says, they don't want to be part of a team that is that is cheating. Um, yes. So I think you know that's why they didn't take it to the whole group because there were people who would have said no to. I it. think the entire team. I think if you're a bowler, you like a Stark or any of the top uh, bowlers there, you know they're going to help you with that ball. So the ball swings, reverse swing, exactly. Who was benefiting from the ball change, changing the... For sure, the bonus, but yeah, that yeah, was yeah. an unfair advantage. Yeah. Another ah, thing it's like Michael Stark obviously was bowling much it's better than he what thought, saying, that he like thought he was yeah. bowling. It's like Lance Armstrong, it's a Lance Armstrong. They but knew what they were doing. They were doing it's a Lance right, Armstrong. What it made me immediately mm. think of was, was the previous week, I think, we had mm. one of the Australian politicians mm. uh, saying that visas for South Africans would be fast-tracked because yeah. now they could come to this kind of civilised country. And I wondered if there was you know, a reflection here of a sort of an attitude to South Africa, which uh, is, you know, well, we can get away with anything there. Yeah, true. Well, I, I mean, this has been a heated contest uh, as well, but it was almost, I, I was just happy there was Australians for once, but Australians have always been held up as this vanguard of sporting pr uh, prowess and South Africans, of all, rugby, cricket, always seemed like the dirty cousins. So I was happy to see 
the ugly side of Australia. Because it is there. I mean, this is, and it's always, and, and I don't know, for me it was, for the past 30 years, been watching, I always watch a cricket. The Australian team has been this dominant force. So for me, I was like, maybe for the past 20 years, how much has gone into this? So I, I was just happy to see the ugly side of Australian uh, thing, society yeah. as well. Yeah, and but the, you know, the the cheating more, aspect more, of it. There is more to it than this because, mm. you know, the pr problem with cricket mm. is that there are, there are, are a couple of countries who uh, play a lot of cricket, take it very seriously. Mm. It's a big sport in the, in the countries, Australia, India, and, uh, and UK. And UK. The, uh, mm. And there's a whole bunch of other countries who also play it, but you know, on a much lesser scale, mm. uh, of which we are sort of one, you know, maybe the, yeah, to the top, four, the top, top in yeah. end of that. Mm. The, uh, the problem is that if in that, in that disparity, so they are making all the money, mm. so those three countries yeah. are making all the money, all they the have money. all the power over the, you know, over the institution of cricket, um, so the problem is that if if they, in order to you know maintain that position, mm. they've got to win. Yeah. They just have to win. Oh, one of the you know the, or those three teams have to be you know with to in, justify in the their top standard. five yeah. of the you know in order to justify the enormous amount of money that they are that you know that the whole backroom you know the, uh, the advertising and the mm. television and the you know sort of uh, um, so I think they are putting enormous pressure on their teams, enormous pressure, much more than we are, you know, on their teams to win. In fact, we, we are we are like very happy to. So there know. is a lesson here, if you like, yeah. for corporate for corporates that, that if yes. you if you sort of heavily incentivize success in a particular way, yes. the chances that somebody cheats yes. um, are are certainly there and you've got to be careful. And this brings us perhaps a reverse seek to Steinhoff, Rob. Uh, the institutional comparisons are, are immense. I mean, you look at mm. Steinhoff, you look at the fact that nobody believes Marcus Eusto or Cameron Bancroft in the Australian case was doing it by themselves. Mm. And in that case, it's, it's been sold to people that fundamentally it was just Marcus Eusto doing it. He's the guy who's taken the flak. The board has gone to the parliamentary hearings and said, we knew nothing, including Christo Visser, which fi people fi find quite hard to believe. Justifiably, I think. In this case, it was revealed that actually the coach, the coach might not have known, but the captain certainly knew, and the vice captain knew. But the, the coach, well, we know the coach knew. Like it, it cannot. Yeah, be we had, it's it's that, be, that yeah, leadership yeah. committee. You're telling me those, so those the three coach, are the only ones. The coach is the Christo Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, But we've now had Marcus Yester refusing to come to Parliament to testify on the grounds, presumably, that he might incriminate himself. In fact, mm. Um, mm. and at the same time, we've had the Steinhoff board, the new Steinhoff board, that is, awarding themselves some very rich pickings. Yeah, now, is that justified? No, I, th I think that, you know, what they argued in the proxy statement, which they sent out ahead of the AGM, which was on April the 20th, is that they should be allowed to pay themselves these extra sums of money. I think it's 7.4 million rand in all mm. for three, three members of the board. Steve Boyson, Johan van Zale, and Heather Son. Oh, those are old members, uh, not Yes, old members, members, yeah. Yep, uh, that's, that's an addition to the extra fees, just for all the, the hard work that they put in. <laughs> and I think what really will call investors is that if they had put in harder work, then perhaps this might not have happened. Indeed. And investors have seen, you know, 100 billion rand, more than that, 200 billion perhaps, wiped off the value of their investment. Um, pension fund investors have seen their own investments taken a ha have a haircut. So in that, ex to in that context, to say that people who are already heavily incentivized should be paid more money for the hard work is, is, is a bit of an insult, I think. It'll be difficult for them to justify that at the, at the AGM, which is coming up. These are the people under whose watch the whole disaster happened. I mean, should they be, get any, be getting anything at all? To yes, them? no, no, no. Th I mean, uh, uh, totally. I mean, th this is... Uh, <laughs> you know, it may it may be that you know that they are, you know, that when the class action lawsuit happens, um, you know, they might end up, you know, negative even with the, with this extra boost. <laughs> That's this is the irony of the thing because I mean, I, you know, I just don't know. I, I'm intrigued about Steinhoff. What the 
um, how the legal situation unfolds. Uh, so, y you know, you're a company, uh, you say to your shareholders that uh, you can't justify your, um, uh, your accounts, the accounts that you signed off on. Um, I mean, you're liable, right? Aren't you? I mean, for well, the for for in the. In this uh, case, they blamed Christopher Vissi made a big deal in Parliament of blaming Deloitte, right. the auditors, saying we relied on on Deloitte for this. And yes. Deloitte's taken a lot of flack. The the inquiry began into the handling of African Bank in the last week. Yes. And they'll face another inquiry, almost certainly, for what happened at Steinoff. Yeah, but they were also the whistleblowers in this case, as far as we can tell. Mm. Um, the uh, so, uh, um, uh, but still, I mean, you know, the. the uh, but obviously, it's not justified. I, I would, I would, I would lay odds that they're not going to get this through anyway. Would, would well Ron, Ron I mean, technically, in governance terms, are the, is the board not responsible for the financial statements? Yes, they are. The board hires the auditors. Yes. It's not the they auditors are. who are they responsible, even though they yeah. too should have exercised yeah, oversight. Exactly. This, this is the board, and it's funny enough, the, the, the chair, the new interim chair, chair was the head of supervisory, so she was actually probably looking after this whole thing as it happened, and so. I, I agree with everyone, there's no way that, that they should just, I don't know how you can justify this extra payment for them, but when they didn't do the job in the first place, so it'll be interesting to see how it pays out on April the 20th, I understand. It has raised all sorts of questions mm. about the role of the board and yeah. the role of governance, and it's an, quite an international discussion that's going on now, not only related to Steinhoff, but in the UK to, to Carillion, which went down. I mean, what, what have we learned, if you like, Tim, about the r what a board should be looking out for. Well, you know, it's this is very hard. I mean, you know, the problem is that you know, <laughs> businesses are getting so large now. I mean, they they are getting, you know, even Steinhoff. Now, I mean, Steinhoff, you know, isn't in international terms, you know, a mega retailer. It's big, you know, uh, but they had operations in uh, what was it? Uh, you know, half, half a dozen countries. Uh, you know, you you when you're sitting in the board and you have, you know, a well-known, um, high achiever founder, uh, uh, CEO, yeah. uh, uh, sitting across from you. Uh, saying everything is fine, um, Amen, yeah. you know it's very hard to sort of, yes. you know, to, to second guess. You it's know, like having Elon Musk. Can you imagine being a board with Elon Musk, and he's exactly. doing all yeah, these things, yeah, 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 and yeah. you must somehow, and somehow say, squeeze into Elon Musk's story. But this is Elon Musk. But that's what you Rob. Yeah. I do think that yeah. in this case. Uh, the, the board members might have been deceived by the materiality of what this was. Mm. So in Europe, these were small entities where the fraud happened. And they must have thought, you know, even if it did look a bit dodgy, it's a tiny part, it's a fraction of our business. In terms of materiality, let's rather look at mattress land in the US, right. which is taking up far more of our time, and Conforama in, in France mm. and Europe. And they would have seen that and thought, well, this, perhaps this doesn't quite make sense, but, you know, it's a tiny part of our business. So I think it's made them rethink materiality in terms of the outsized impact that can then have on the bottom line. The fraud happened in a small part of the company, but that has had an outsized impact on the entire group. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that they've, you know, the, I mean, apart from the obvious things, you know, you, you know, you've always got to be suspicious if you have a, you know, powerful CEO mm. um, who's sort of guiding the discussion, and uh, um, but you also and you also have to have real expertise in the that particular yeah. business, not in you know the sector. You know, I mean, you also wonder about CEOs creating the boards for them. So they almost like the CEOs. Yes. Uh, 
build a board around their own taste as their friends or anyone who's almost vouched for by Rob and so on. So that so I, I didn't vouch for anyone. <laughs> 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 so like uh, diversity here comes to the question. Maybe diversity is good for this one particular reason that it stops having CEOs um, with these chums around him deciding a fate of a company and, and playing these games. And then you, you'll just trust and then we'll just trust what Rob says. We all play cricket with him on, on, on Saturday and Sunday and we know his wife, we know whatever. So, but Maybe if hopefully. You play cricket with me, you'll know not to trust. Or oh, maybe yeah, that's true. That's true. But hopefully that breaks that whole thing. There is some evidence, is there not, that diversity mm. makes for better financial performance yeah, by maybe. companies yeah. and and does prevent that kind of clubbiness. Yes, that, in this case, Christopher's son, Christopher's and his son, Justa, in the same talking about horses, whatever they were talking about, and then oh, by the way, there's these results. Oh, there's some funnies there, but don't worry about it. Okay, we go. Yeah. We've got one minute to go to the ad yeah. break, but, but, but reflections on SOE boards, because mm. uh, both ESCOM and SAA with their new boards were mm. in Parliament this week. Mm. Um, now, I have people saying, you know, isn't it great? The problem is kind of solved. They have new fantastic boards. Mm. Is the problem solved at ESCOM or SAA? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, structurally, <laughs> like, I, like, okay, governance-wise, for our confidence, looks a bit better, but um, in ESCOM, SAA, there's a, there's a, SAA will only get fixed if it's a huge structural, structural intervention. intervention. And if they got a CEO, a turnaround CEO, I don't, I don't quite trust this, uh, the, the current CEO. Nope, I don't know him at all, but I need a turnaround guy, a guy to go there and really be allowed to cut as much as possible. And sorry. I'm going to leave it yeah, there. Sorry. We'll be back after the break. Yeah. Welcome back. A week ago, we were worrying about a Moody's downgrade to South Africa's rating. Uh, a week later, what we have is, in fact, not an upgrade, but an upgrade to the outlook. Moody's has affirmed South Africa at investment grade and moved our outlook from negative to stable. At the same time, rival Standard & Poor's has doubled its projected growth rate on South Africa. So, Sikonati, are we looking at a sort of a virtuous cycle now where we have better growth and better ratings? We, we are basically where we were in 1994-95 when we were starting all over again, just breaking into investment grade and on and up we did go and hopefully we, we, we are going back there. And you can't imagine the speed with which this has happened. Uh, the three months of Ramaphosa as president of the ANC and uh, as, as Moody's did say indeed, this all stems from the actions that have been taken in the government, starting with neutralizing ESCOM and uh, putting the, the correct people in there. And you should see that happening with uh, SAA as well is in that category. Denner is starting to melt away the, the problematic board, and you're going to see uh, people put in there, uh, uh, Prasa and, and all of them, Transnet. So this is it, the state uh, institutions, the state-owned companies being the enabler and, the, and the, the, actually uh, the facilitator of the growth that we expect. Ron, a lot of the emphasis in the Moody statement is about institutions. Are yeah. we seeing enough of a turnaround to actually lift the growth rate? Yeah, like remember last year we spoke about uh, a, a new a guy at the helm of ANC and whether just changing heads of all these SOEs, will that make a difference? And it does for now. Like So we get this nice upswing of sentiment and and actually, you know, Ramaphosa, I must say, surprised me about how much 
there's so much activity around SOEs and, and other institutions that have given us a swell of belief. But I guess the hard work is still there. ESCOM is still not fixed. Uh, SAA still has hard questions to be asked. But at least for now, the sentiment has shifted and uh, Ramaphosa has done quite significantly well in three months, which scares me in a way. Was it's all about one political party change and then suddenly the country looks. Well, by the way, this tells the weighting of ANC to all our, our psyches, I guess. But I suppose it also does emphasize the importance of institutions. Mm. And, and I wonder, Tim, do you think that the, revenue, the South African revenue service move, the, the, the suspension oh, yeah. of Mr. Moyani, no, sure. no, if, if there was any doubt, may have tipped it for them? Yeah, you know, but I mean, I, I keep on saying this and no one believes me, but, you know, the, uh, I mean, South Africa is 0.7% of the global economy, you know, the, uh, and we have a global economy now that is growing all over the place by, you know, enormous leaps and bounds. I mean, India is growing faster than China. Europe is growing faster than America. You know, the, uh, all, all of the, the metrics that were, you know, that, that were, uh, and South Africa's part of that. South Africa's part of this, you know, sort of global shift. I think the, the rating agencies, you know, uh, have been surprised by international global growth. And then they looked at all of the outliers uh, of which we and, and I don't know, maybe kind of Mexico, possibly Brazil. also Brazil, mm. you know, are, are uh, you know, are actually, you know, potentially very high beneficiaries. And they're worried now that they'll look like idiots when, you know, when we come, you know, totally outperform their, you know, sort of miserable pro projections. Actually, Rob, Rob, Standard and Poor's, I mean, the, the accusation has been made that they look a bit like idiots because they downgraded us again just before December. Mm. Um, and, and yesterday, this week, we had them we had them at their conference saying, oh, well, we've revised growth up, but, you know, just looks as kind of miserable as ever. I mean, do you think, do you think they're just trying to justify the downgrade they did uh, to make themselves not look so silly? Or were they right to downgrade going well, into December. Firstly, I want to say that I don't think that um, Tim said nobody believes him. I think what you said was perfectly reasonable. So <laughs> 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 um, but I do think that, you know, what S&P said yesterday, um, as you reported, is that, you know, it, it all looks better, that, to use a terrible cliche, the optics look a lot better. Mm. But fundamentally, there are issues still, just because you changed Tomoyani at SARS, doesn't mean you're immediately dealing with a 50 billion revenue gap. You, you're not, you're not collecting taxes, your revenue is still in a shortfall. We still have various issues that still need to come to the party. You can change leadership, yeah. but fundamentally you still need to change what's actually happening structurally. So I think what they said is you need to wait and see. You can't just expect there to be an upgrade, and I think that's a reasonable position to take at this point. Hanging over it is the whole question of, of, of expropriation without compensation, and this week has seen land invasions, not where some might have expected them in uh, on farms, but in the urban areas in Gauteng and the Western Cape, how much of a concern is that, Rob, and what, how much should we be concerned? Well, I think that, I mean, I do think that it does illustrate the real key problem, as Carol Payton wrote in Business Day, it's, it's fundamentally about one of the real issues is poverty. That's what you, that, that is the issue. So people want land in urban areas close to jobs where they can actually earn money. So that's fundamentally one of the issues. We don't have jobs in this country. So urban areas are, I mean, that's what happens. We've had an explosion of urban settlements since 1994, actually. People want land near employment, near fundamentally that they can use. We do have, you know, a tiny fraction of the land, I think it's 2.6% is in urban areas. And that's the demand from people because, because you know, that's, that's what's going to actually fundamentally change their lives, um, not handing somebody a giant parcel of land in a rural area. So, Kanati, you took a very firm view in your column in the Financial Mail this week on, on the land issue. Do you want to spell it out? Yes, absolutely. Look, the, the, the real truth of the matter is that all the land belonged to the people that 
your people found here uh, in 1652 and beyond. Hillary's people. Hillary's people. Now, let's be blunt and call it what it is. And we never that found. series of armed robberies over 300 years uh, deprived black people of land. Of course, black people themselves were guilty of land uh, of land theft from the Khoisan people. I'm talking about the Bantu, ah, my people. Come, come. Um, now, the constitution of the Republic of South Africa cut off the thing in, uh, and said uh, all land that was uh, stolen uh, by white people in, uh, from 1913 onwards can be claimed back. Anything beyond that, uh, before that, which was the most violent period, uh, it, it was, was a free gift uh, to, to the European invaders who came in. The, the Land Rights Act, uh, Restitution Act of 1994, only limits that. Now, even that the government failed to, 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 to execute. It failed to restitute 20% uh, of the land that it said it would uh, within the next 15, in the first 15 years. It failed dismally. To this day, we only, they only talk about 4% 4, 4 of land in black hands, uh, which is also, again, just a thumb suck. Uh, the, the issue now, you, Rob and I, uh, Ron and I, the, the, the black people in the middle classes and others, uh, did manage to buy land uh, when we acquired our middle class status. But the majority of black people are the ones that are invading farms because justice has not been done. The, even though the constitution in its preamble says we recognize the injustices of our past, no one made an attempt. Even when the government did agree to limit itself to only uh, repatriating land that was stolen from 1913 onwards, it failed dismally to do that. That is my point in the, about the land. We now, just to shift topics a little bit, we say a very good, a very sad goodbye this evening to. One Tim Cohen, <laughs> who is retiring to the Karoo from where he will, I hope, continue to file columns and copy for Business Day. Tim, and he's retiring to a farm in the Karoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a non-farm farm. It's a, it's farmland, but there's you know you can't. I mean, there's it's been very interesting living in the Karoo as I have in the past in this farming area. It's a small community. There's a um, you know, because because there's uh, it's it um, you can tell people the farm that you refuse to list me some land. On. Yes, no, no, no. And then Sicko is constantly talking about bringing his uh, sheep and putting them on my land, and I, you know the. <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, I, I, I haven't said no, but I'm. You I have not said yes either. Said yes. <laughs> <laughs> the. Um, this is Tim's second last day at Business Day, right? Last yeah. day. Awesome. Tim yeah, steps yeah. down from the editorship. Um, yeah, no, no, it's been great being on this program, by the way. And I wanted and, uh, you to reflect uh, a little bit. We had, we had, um, we've had great fun on this uh, program, and it's been, uh, it's been a real treat being part of it. And I'm sorry I had so many ums along the way, <laughs> forgot people's names, spoke, the, you know, said the <laughs> wrong thing. You didn't finish your sentences. It didn't finish my sentences. <laughs> my wife says, oh, no, no, you were buffering. You were just buffering. <laughs> you did write in your column uh, this week about, you reflected on what it's been like to edit Business Day over the past two years, which have been a really tumultuous two years for South Africa and the role of journalists. Yeah, um, no, no, no. I mean, I, I please think reflect on that time. No, us. I mean, I really think that journalism in South Africa has had a moment over the past couple of years, uh, and it's been fantastic to be part of it. Um, but you know, uh, the uh, um, journalists in South Africa 
are, you know, ha have been, especially print journalists, this is a declining profession. We are fighting to, you know, bring out the same quality products with, with uh, massively reduced resources uh, that we did really as, as, uh, as recently as five or ten years ago. Um, the, uh, but that hasn't, hasn't made it less fun. It's been great. The, uh, and and um, I, th I think we did change South African history a bit. Um, Really, just by not uh, by by being ourselves, you know, being uh, you know, uh, bringing a critical mind to bear on the issues of the day, uh, and it's been you know really fantastic to have uh, to be working with good people who and we you know we differ about a lot of things, but on this issue we never th there was never any uh, there was never any disagreement. We really wanted to be as uh, as uh, we wanted to. Uh, you know, play a, play a, a thoughtful, uh, balanced but incisive role in the in what was happening in South Africa, and especially I think our group we, we, we uh, uh, and some of the the online platforms, the radio stations were there, but uh, really though um, it's been uh, we uh, we we did some really great journalism and y you know made it really impossible for the ANC to deny you know from from you know if you if you trace what the ANC said about corruption th over the past you know four years initially there was like they were talking about allegations of corruption mm -hmm. then there was a stage where they were talking about perceptions of corruption and then there was a point where they just said okay there's corruption you know and that's that's you know that. Uh, mm -hmm. Trajectory uh, really was caused by by very active uh, politicians, some with really great, you know, uh, uh, some some in very important NGOs, um, some uh, and uh, and some really top-notch journalism. So thank thank you all for ha having me. We did get a specific. The media did get a special mention, in fact, in in, in the Moody's ratings report. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for for standing up. It's like yeah. Speaking truth to power, if you like. It has been. Yeah, and 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 you know because of because of the situation, uh, I'm going to consider. I'm going to seriously consider Maybe having some of Sika's sheep on. so long as we then we swear. <laughs> okay, then we. No, no. no <laughs> let, let, let's be clear here. Tim is just looking for a black face to protect him from <laughs> uh, land invasions <laughs> in the Karoo. But I will. I will take. I will take the offer. <laughs> and before you go, Tim, we'd just like to drink a quick toast to your years at Business Day and your many years to come farming in the Karoo with Sika's sheep. With Sika's sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Run. I'll leave right. it to you to do the honors. Here we go. All right, we could, we're all watching now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute pleasure working with you. <laughs> hey. Well done. There you Excellent. go. Excellent. Thank you very much. Oh, cool. You take your glasses, Sikonati. I know you're getting sheep. We organize your sheep. You That's all we have time for. Thank you very much for joining us. Please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud. Cheers! Cheers. 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 <laughs>